Well, the, the uh, main thing, or one of my main themes today, is people in general know a lot more about weather than they did. We go back, I'll say 30 years or so, um, and the world was a lot different. And at that time, if you were kind of interested in weather, you had to really work at finding out something about it because um, it just wasn't publicly available. Weather was on television, and I can't remember exactly what it was like, but it's certainly not as uh, good as it is now. Uh, yeah, let's. Your computer, just press button here so we okay. can write that in different ways. Just turn it down. Right. Yeah. Uh, so. Uh, many of you might have seen this picture, but I want to use it to illustrate a point. And um, this picture made the rounds of the internet uh, back in September of 2005 uh, with captions saying things like, Hurricane Katrina comes ashore over Alabama. Now, I'd like to see a show of hands. Those of you who think, yeah, that could be it. That could be Katrina coming ashore. Just, just raise your hands. Nobody? <laughs> well, we've made my point. People know a lot more about weather. But no, it's really this audience because a lot of people um, thought this could be Katrina. In fact, as we were making plans to do the uh, USA, Today, I mean the uh, AMS weather book, the editor, uh, or the person who packaged the book, put it together, commissioned the drawings, did the basic design and stuff, sent me the photo and said, here's a good one of Katrina you could use. So right away I said, okay, this book, it's a two-page spread in the beginning of the book. Uh, and it, it makes the point that um, you read this book, you will be, people who read the book will be in the company of all of you in this room you know this is not Katrina, and you have a pretty good idea why, and we'll come back to this at the end of my talk. Well, let's go back to those, how did the saying go, the sterling days of yesteryear? That was some, from some radio program. But this is what a uh, newspaper weather presentation looked like in the 70s and 80s. Um, incomprehensible symbols for most people. You see the little line with uh, triangles on it, and sometimes you'd see a little line with half circles on it. You see H's and L's, and some people might think that, oh, that must be higher or low pressure, but what, what do I care about higher or low pressure? How does that affect me? The thin lines are isobars. Uh, I don't think I'm going to be surprised, but raise your hand if you know what an isobar is. Oh, a fair number, a little bit more than half. But this was being presented to the public with isobars, and even with a well-educated, weather-wise well-educated audience we have here, only about half of you know what an isobar is. And this kind of presentation showed that editors and readers thought that weather was something like the stamp collecting column or the bridge column. You know, these very highly specialized things that maybe a few people were kind of interested in. In fact, for most people, the weather presentation made as much sense as this page from a textbook about lightning. And so people, you know, didn't pay too much attention to it. Well, um, this doesn't look that much difference, but it's uh, the beginning of the USA Today weather page. Um, when the Gannett CEO, Al Newharth, decided to start a new national newspaper back in the uh, early 1980s, he told the editors, this paper's going to have a lot of weather in it. Because Newharth grew up in South Dakota, he grew up on the Great Plains, and knew people were interested in weather. Most newspaper executives back east didn't think that. They thought the stamp collector column format was really the way to, to handle weather. 
this was a early prototype uh, that I was involved in creating, and it was going to be an inside full page. Well, full page of weather by itself would have been really radical. Um, an inside page in black and white. The map, the lines on the map this time divided their isotherm, showing where different temperatures are. But that's kind of abstract. I don't think it would work. The other thing we did at the same time was to put it in color. And you can see this is kind of looking like uh, what uh, people saw when we started publishing USA Today. And, and the um, colors represent the forecast high temperature of the day of publication. And the whole idea of uh, USA Today was not to educate people about weather, but to give them information they wanted. Because in those days, say you were planning to go from Lincoln or um, uh, to the east coast or the west coast, it wasn't really easy to find out, you know, should I take my parka? Should I take my bathing suit? Am I going to need an umbrella? Whatever. You had to, to really work at it to find that information out. Uh, USA Today was intended for travelers. Um, in the early days, people asked who is expected to read this paper? Somebody waiting at an airport. So the temperature is the first thing, and then, of course, you know, we tell you other things. But as the designers worked on it, it turned out we just have type at the bottom of the page. Pretty dull page. And so one of the editors said, well, Jack, could we do something? I said, well, we could do little graphics uh, explaining something about that day's weather. And the, with the globe and the arrows really explains a kind of a sophisticated meteorological concept. They represent the upper air winds where the winds are squeezing together, the pressure on the ground is going to be higher, where they're spreading apart, the pressure on the ground is going to be uh, lower. I'd, I didn't run into that concept until about my third semester of meteorology courses. So from the very beginning, to solve a design problem, we started um, educating people about weather. This was the first issue of USA Today sold to the public, September 15, 1982, with a big story about Princess Grace being killed, a plane crashing, and most of the passengers getting off uh, alive. And this is the weather page for that paper. The, the graphic is not really an informative graphic. It's an artist's impression. And, and those walls, I, I really hated this graphic, but nobody else seemed to, so uh, people kept buying the paper. But, but it's uh, you know, just an impressionistic picture. And of course, we improved. And this was an 84. And as far as I know, this is the first presentation in something intended for a public using the term supercell. And the drawing you know, kind of gives you an idea of what a supercell is like. And the supercell was, re was part of a big tornado outbreak in North Carolina. Uh, I think it was a day or two days before. And um, so we were starting to get a little bit more sophisticated, and this is a, a not very well-rendered um, blow-up of it. But uh, these kind of images led um, an editor at Random House, who was kind of a weather freak, to come to USA Today and ask, uh, would you guys like to produce a book for it? So um, in 1991, uh, the Vintage Books Division Random House published the USA Today weather book. Um, this is the cover of the second edition. The first edition had one guy with an umbrella, or one person. You can't tell if they're men or women. And um, 
the second one had two people. The first edition, the colors for the fronts and the umbrella were wrong, and we heard a lot about that. But the artist said, it looks better this way, with a red warm front and a blue, uh, I mean a red hold front and a blue warm front. Uh, one of the kind of things we do in the, did, in, did in the book, uh, we had profiles of people. Ted Fujita, everybody's heard of him, the great tornado scientist. And uh, this was done to tell stories and make scientists human. You know, that science is a human activity. Um, now, this wasn't anything in any of the books, but I, I wonder, how many of you learned in school or somewhere that if a tornado is approaching, Run around and open all your windows. Just raise your hand. Yeah, as I thought, most people heard that. Uh, how many people think that's a good idea? Oh, I'm disappointed. I was expecting at least one or two of you to raise your hands. <laughs> but but that, that kind of makes a point uh, that thanks to a lot of education and efforts, people know that, no, that was bad advice. But you can't blame the, the Weather Bureau and the Weather Service for that because that was the best scientific of thinking of its time. This is damage uh, from the hurricane, uh, the uh, tornado that hit Wichita Falls, Texas in April 10th, 1979. And I tell the story in my new book how this, the examination of this damage convinced wind scientists that unlike previously thought, the low pressure in a tornado doesn't cause a building to explode, but the wind rips the roof off. And this is a graphic from the USA Today weather book showing that. And as I say, maybe, it, don't, don't bother reading the text of these, but, um, you know, the tornado itself or a hurricane or straight line winds, they'll do a good job of opening the windows for you. You know, a flying garbage can lid will open a window much quicker than you ever could. And, and the point is, you open the windows and the wind gets in the house, you have air pressure pushing up, and also, a house's roof acts like an airplane wing, a poorly designed airplane wing, but still, the wind blowing over it creates lift. So this, the roof comes off, so what are the walls going to do? With a little bit of wind blowing, they're going to fall, one way, and maybe they just fall like that, giving the impression that the house has exploded. And this is an explanation, of a graphic showing a Doppler radar, because uh, by during the 1990s, the Weather Service finished uh, installing its network of Doppler radar. It was in the news. This is a basic uh, physical explanation of how the weather, um, you know, wet Doppler weather radar works. I think it's a really unsophisticated image, but for the 1990s, th this was really pretty hot stuff in the way in the wor world of uh, visual graphics. Uh, the book that Ken mentioned uh, came out last June. And uh, I like to describe this book is it's the grandchild of the USA Today weather book. And anybody who has grandchildren know what I'm talking about. The grandchild compared to the grandparent is bigger, better looking, and smarter. So in all ways, this is the grandchild of the USA Today weather book. Uh, this is the two-page uh, supercell graphic um, in the book. And, and again, don't try to understand it, but if you try to read, if you read through it, it shows how the mesocyclone begins to form, or one theory of it. And, and I make that point. The final word is yet to be written on a lot of these things. Um, now for a story. Um, this is a view looking out from the Parsons Company factory in uh, Roanoke, Illinois, 
on July 13th in the mid-afternoon, 2004. Obviously, a tornado is approaching. This is a photo of some guys happened to be digging a cellar for a barn. The barn had not been built, so they, they had a big hole in the ground. And they did what anybody with any sense does. They got down into their hole, but one of them took pictures. The yellow and white stuff are parts of the Parsons Company factory, and this was a big building. They made heavy equipment like parts for Caterpillar tractors, parts for these tractors you wouldn't be able to drive under the... Uh, ceiling here, you know, used in strip mines and things like that. I mean, they have big equipment to make big parts for big machines. This was after the tornado. You might say, gee, why are these firefighters standing around? Well, there's no fire, obvious, but why are they busy trying to help people going through the wreckage looking for the dead and injured people? When the tornado hit, there were 150 people in the building. Not a single person was injured. Maybe some minor scratches. No one required a trip to the hospital. How did this happen? Well, here's an aerial view of the factory. And you can see it's a huge factory. The cars that were in the parking lot in that first picture, they were gone. And the reason people survived, they had safe rooms built into the factory. Um, this one was a restroom, reg did regular duty as a bathroom but reinforced concrete and all of that. Uh, part of the main office was actually a safe room where you could close the steel doors. Even more important, they had a plan, and they practiced the plan. Uh, and they did this because Bob Parsons, the owner of the factory, many years ago, I think 25 or 30 years ago, had had a close call with a tornado at his small factory. It was just beginning. He said, what would happen if a tornado hit? So he thought about it. He also got interruption of business insurance. I think that's the correct title. All, not only were no, there was no one injured in this building, um, he kept the company going. Everyone got paid. Hourly workers received not their hourly paid, but what they had earned on average per week in the previous year with overtime. Salaried workers kept their regular pay. Um, he kept the business going by renting space in other factories. He put people to work. They were on the payroll doing things like uh, helping paint nursing homes, you know, what would normally be vo uh, volunteer work. He sent people out into the uh, surrounding fields to pick up the pieces of the factory so when the farmers ran their machinery out there, they wouldn't be running into, you know, chunks like this of some milling machine or something. And I, I tell the story because this is a, good example of how people should be thinking. And anybody who does anything with a lot of people, you're a principal of a school, you're a pastor, you run a nursing home, you run a store with two employees, it's a good idea to think of what you would do if a tornado hit. The odds are really small. And so you have to balance it. But, you know, if, if you think about it, you can not only save your life, but in this case, save, save your business. Um, in addition to telling the story of uh, what happened to the Parsons, Parsons factory and, and how they uh, turned out so well, I tell the story of what the National Weather Service was doing the day before and the same day and getting the word out. This is uh, from the weather radar at 
Lincoln, Illinois, which I think is about 40 miles south of the Parson factory. Um, number three, uh, well, uh, in this image, the, the dark red you know, shows heavy precipitation. The yellows and greens show lighter precipitation, rain or hail. Except where the number three is, the meteorologists at Lincoln are pretty sure that red is not precipitation. That's pieces of the Parsons factory a few thousand feet in the air. This is a Doppler radar image, same time, same place, um, with a circle around where the tornado was. In this image, um, the, the reds are winds blowing toward the radar, and the greens are winds blowing away, and where the circle is, you have winds going like that. What, what the radar sees, and that shows you, you have a circulation, and that uh, there's something nasty going on there. And uh, this is the, the graphic from the new book explaining more about how radar works. And, uh, you know, they, they see components of wind, and people have done something, like, I'm familiar with it uh, because I'm a, a pilot and, and uh, I've taught aviation ground school. So, you know, if you want to fly from here out the door and the wind's blowing from there, you aim the plane that way and, and the wind takes you that way. In other words, your motion has a component, you know, in different directions and the radar sees that. Uh, this uh, graphic uh, shows how polarimetric radar works. And it might be occurring now, but it's certainly the next two, three, or four years, you're going to hear television meteorologists talking about XR58Z polar metric Doppler radar tells us. And so when you start hearing that, you'll know uh, how polar metric radar gives meteorologists more information about things that they don't really have now. Uh, this is a safety thing, um, and you'll hear more about this. But the, thanks to an unfortunate television, uh, some television shots of people sheltering under an overpass, I think it was that Andover, Kansas tornado, they survived. So people started thinking, oh, if you're on the highway and see a tornado, get under the overpass. No, 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 never. Um, because briefly, the overpass acts like a wind tunnel. And uh, there's some real horror stories. The May 1999 tornadoes hit in the Oklahoma City area. Uh, some people were killed, and I'm not even going to go into some of the things I heard about how they died. But um, they also jammed up the interstate. You know, everybody parked to get under the overpass, and then the emergency vehicles couldn't get through. So, so this is one example of how people are learning things about weather, but I, I don't want to leave the impression that the book is all doom and gloom and avoiding disaster, because if you look at the weather, you can enjoy the blue sky, and this explains it, you know, how the molecules scatter, you know, kind of like reflect light in all directions. Uh, the interesting thing in the story I tell in the book is Lord Rayleigh, a British scientist, and some others figured all this out in the late 19th century, why the sky is blue. People since the Greeks have been trying to come up with answers, and finally they did it. At the same time, scientists had a hypothesis that the universe is made of little, tiny little things called atoms, and atoms come together to make molecules. The, th the explanation of why the sky is blue, and this was nicely confirmed, also helped confirm the atomic hypotheses. So the point is, when you look at a blue sky, 
you're getting kind of a scientific look deeper into the universe. And I personally uh, find this, you know, really kind of neat. And I've always been, you know, kind of wanting to know how things work. But uh, when you see clouds and things like that, you know what's going on. You can say, I understand that. That's, that's really cool. Uh, another thing, um, how many people have seen a sun dog? Well, no surprise, most of you look at the sky, but have you ever had this experience? You see a sun dog, and you point it out to somebody, and they say, boy, that must be rare. Oh, yeah, they only occur in this part of the country maybe two or three times a week. And uh, this explains the science of it. Something else, if you want to take photos of a sun dog, most of them I've seen like in scientific publications, you've got to block the direct light of the sun. Well, so really ugly solutions, you know, you have a lamp, a street lamp or the corner of a building. Um, Ken Tape, a professional photographer in Alaska, used his father, one of the leading scientific authorities on, uh, scientists call them halos, whether they're round or not. So he blocked the sun with his father's head. So if you ever have to do any halo photography, you know, he has this picture copyrighted and we paid him to use the picture in the book. But you can't copyright an idea. You can copyright the execution of the idea. So if you ever have occasion to take up a sun dog, get somebody to stand there and get a neat picture of it. Okay, back to this picture. Uh, I, sh I bet more than one knows where and when this was taken and who took it. Anybody? Yeah, Mike Hollings had a storm chaser. It's in Avro, which if I recall correctly, is in the northeast of our northeastern corner of Nebraska. And um, it was... I have the date written down here. Uh, June 13th, 2004, it's a supercell, and you can see the, uh, you know, the corkscrew type look, well, that shows the mesocyclone. And, and the point I make in the book is that, um, what's, what's the main reason uh, why you know it's not a hurricane? Well, uh, yeah, I could, well, well the, the two main reasons, uh, one is, um, how many of you have ever been in a hurricane, either on shore or in a plane or anything? Um, hurricanes are embedded in huge blobs of very humid air. I mean, you know, the, the air mass comes in that the hurricane is in, and you say, oh, it's a good time to have the humidity festival. Um, so you never have the sky this clear anywhere. Now, very often, the sky before, before or after a hurricane is very clear because the air goes up in the middle, comes down where the air is coming down way around the edges. It clears the sky, but not near a hurricane. Also, hurricanes are made of thunderstorms, but they are not as powerful and as well organized as a supercell. They're, um, uh, and one, uh, one point, uh, hurricane hunter airplanes fly directly through hurricanes you know, right through the eye wall, the strongest thunderstorms in a hurricane. They use their radar to find um, weak spots. These same uh, air crews and scientists refuse to fly too close to the supercell. So the individual cells in a, in a plane thunderstorm are much stronger than the individual cells in a hurricane. But the hurricane is much bigger. One thing I mentioned in my book is um, after Katrina, people said, well, in the Midwest, you have tornadoes. Two different worlds. Katrina 
knocked out everything. And even if, you know, the levees and everything in New Orleans have been built well, people, help had to come from far away to all the victims of Katrina. In contrast, the big 1999 um, tornado outbreak in Oklahoma City, very strong tornado, a swath of destruction, houses destroyed, but it was a mile wide. So five minutes after the tornado passed, all the first responders were able to get there. You could get victims to hospitals. Um, if there were any fires, you could get the firefighters in within minutes. Whereas with Katrina, as we all know from watching television, it took days to get help to people. And another thing, mo most of you, I assume, have uh, lived in, uh, on the Great Plains for most of your lives. How many have actually, tornado chasers, this doesn't count, but without deliberately looking for a tornado, how many people have seen a tornado? One, oh, a fair number, but maybe a third or so of you. And the point is, tornadoes are terrible, the big ones. Um, there, you really should know what to do and be prepared for them, but fortunately, they're pretty rare. And I imagine you could probably find some 80-year-old people in, in this county who have lived here all 80 years and have never seen one. Whereas storm chasers, of course, that's, a, that's an entirely different thing. So um, anyway, um, we have a few minutes for questions if anybody has any. Also on my uh, website, I 